Today I have with me pastor of the Life Church, Stan Gleason. The church is located in Kansas City, Missouri. Pastor Gleason has been pastoring the Life Church for 29 years. He, along with his pastoral team and church members, have grown a great and vibrant church within the community. And I think it's also important to note that the Life Church is very reputable within its surrounding community. Along with serving as the lead pastor at the Life Church, he also serves as the Assistant General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International and travels internationally to speak. Pastor Gleason has received his master's degree from Urshan Graduate School of Theology and has recently authored a book entitled, Follow to Lead, The Journey of a Disciple Maker. The content in this book is key to our topic today about creating the culture of Christ. Pastor Gleason, thank you for being with us today. We wanna hear your pastor's heart on the culture of Christ. So I wanna ask you a few questions. Uh, The first question I wanted to ask you is, tell us about your heart of the vision, the culture of Christ, Disciples Making Disciples for the Life Church 2017. What is the background of that vision and what are some key principles that you've been teaching about that culture? Thank you, Marissa, for the opportunity to share today. I'm very honored to be a part of this podcast. This journey actually began a little over five years ago I was praying and asking the Lord for direction for our local church. The Lord clearly spoke to me and said, go make disciples. Of course, I've known that Matthew 28:19, which is a quote from that passage, has been in the Bible, and I've known it my whole life. But it just really seemed to strike a chord deeper in my heart than it ever had before. And I've come to realize that um, when Jesus said, go make disciples, what he really was saying to us was, go live your life intentionally. Go live your life purposefully. Um, and so I began to really put on the lens of a disciple maker when I would read the Bible, in particular the New Testament. And I realized that Jesus, in fact, it's demonstrated in Matthew eleven nineteen. The Bible says that he was a friend of publicans and sinners. And even though the scripture uh, shows that his antagonist impugned him for that reputation, yet it was that attitude that filtered down into his disciples and enabled them to change the world. So Jesus' pattern was that he engaged sinners He turned sinners into friends and friends into disciples. And that's a major uh, adjustment for for the way that most Christians live their lives. And that is to be intentional about their relationships, intentional about their conversations, and to be moving toward leading people not only to Christ, but inviting them into their life. Because Jesus understood that he had the answer to every dilemma, every question, every problem. And the answer was, if their life isn't working out the way that they want it to, then they need a change. And the Christians are the models to imitate that change. Jesus said in John 14, 12, he said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And then he said later in verse 12, he said, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do. And greater things than these shall you do. So Jesus was really inviting his disciples 
into a relationship of imitation. When Jesus said, follow me, he was not just saying, you know, come and hang out on weekends and you'll see cool stuff. What he really was saying was, do what I do, say what I say, think like I think, and uh, touch others like I touch others. And the disciples caught his spirit and began to imitate him. And we know they did a good job because Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says that when Peter and John were called into question because of the miracle they had wrought, the raising of the lame man, the Bible says they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So we see that they were imitating his personal culture and now creating a, 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 a much larger culture in the community. So those are some of the principles, the key principles that are motivating our behavior at the Life Church. Well, I think that is a profound revelation of that scripture, and I know it's helped many. Uh, speaking to that in particular, what does that vision that you just shared look like for the millennial generation at the Life Church? Can you paint for us a picture of what that would look like? Well, what we know about the millennials is that they value having experiences. And one of the greatest things that the Life Church, I feel, offers is that we are not big on religion at all, but we are big on having encounters with God, having an experience with God. And when someone has an experience with God at the Life Church, they know that it is not mere emotionalism, but it is indeed an encounter with the supernatural presence of God, which brings with it uh, the power to change and to become what God wants us to be. So I feel that that in and of itself really plays into the millennial values because they, they want to have an experience. And of course, they not only want to have an experience with God, but they want to have experiences with other people. And this is where disciple making uh, really comes into play. Millennials desire meaningful relationships. And I don't know of a more meaningful relationship than that anyone could ever have than to invite someone to imitate them, so to speak, to follow them, and then to see that person's life begin to change, to see that person's life begin to mature and evolve into what God is calling them to be. Um, so that is sort of on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but we also at the Life Church emphasize participating in groups. We make disciples through groups, and it's and this is what Jesus did. He had 12, and our groups are not that large, but nevertheless, we have tried to create group culture where there's accountability, where there's a freedom to express where you are, there's a freedom to... Um, share your your failures and your successes and uh it's a very non-judgmental uh environment where people feel free to share their heart and what's going on in their life so i think this is very germane to uh what millennials and value they value experiences they value meaningful relationships they want to participate and the whole disciple-making culture lends itself very well to that. In my capstone project, I wrote about how collectivistic cultures share values, 
how they're diverse by nature, and how they have a group ideology. What would you say is the current group ideology among the millennial members at the Life Church pertaining to this vision of the culture of Christ? Well, I think that um, we all, it's, it doesn't matter if you're a boomer, a buster, a Generation X, or a millennial. Everyone wants to count, and everyone wants to belong. The ba- one of the basic human needs is to belong. And we all want to do that. So whether, you know, someone could say that they have an individualistic mindset, that's true. But the human condition is deeper than that. It's deeper than a generational culture. And the human uh, need is to belong and to feel a part. Uh, In addition to that, uh, millennials, like any generation, want to make a difference. This is a very strong driving force. Uh, Millennials are taking missions trips all over the world like never before. Uh, They want to volunteer. Millennials are willing to volunteer. They want to make a difference. They want their life to count. And they want to leave their mark uh, on the culture. And so at the Life Church, they have an opportunity to do that not through programs, not through institutionalized ventures, but through a very generic uh, human encounter called what we call at the Life Church, the culture of Christ. And the culture of Christ is to love people, to embrace them, to meet them where they are, to take them on a journey to where God wants them to be. And I think that this... Uh, just sort of plays into the vision and the the characteristics of the millennial generation. As noted in the lesson I created for the millennial representation at the Life Church for my capstone project, we're trying to create a collectivistic culture. By definition, a collectivistic culture focuses on the group culture and community. We see in the scriptures that God's people are referred to as a group in many references such as we're the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ, we're a glorious church, and we're a chosen generation, for example. What is the big appeal of the mission of Christ to the millennials in particular, given their individualistic mindset? Well, Billy Graham once said, the smallest package you'll ever see is a person all wrapped up in themselves. And I think that even though millennials have an individualistic mindset, um, they still, as I said earlier, want to belong. They want to be part of something that's bigger than them. Uh, and I see this because I have two millennials that live in my house, and I know what uh, motivates them and drives them. When we look at the culture of Christ in the first century, Jesus reached out to 12 individuals who had their own careers. They had Some of them had families. Some of them were fishermen. Uh, Some of them were tax collectors. And one of them was called a zealot. And it's interesting that Jesus chose individuals who had career choices or an upbringing that were not necessarily conducive to his mission. But he wasn't worried about that. So they brought their individual characteristics to the table. 
And uh, for example, uh, Simon the Zealot, the Zealots carried a knife on their thighs, uh, hidden under their clothing. And their mission, their sworn mission was to uh, take out any Roman at any, any Roman soldier at any time to overthrow the Roman government and to raise up, you know, Zionism. And uh, so, you know, Jesus invites this man onto his team. Then he invites Matthew. Now think of the wisdom of this. Jesus wants to reach the people that Matthew is collecting taxes from against their will. And yet Jesus says to him, follow me. And Matthew leaves his little table of money changing and follows Christ. So Jesus has all of these personalities and all these backgrounds to synthesize in his group. And yet, what, it, what was it that united them? It was his mission. It was his vision. Christ at times attracted huge multitudes, but he chose not to impact the world with a multitude. He chose to impact the entire world with a small group of disciples who laid aside their individual mindset and their individual talents and skills and instead added them to a bigger mix and to a bigger vision. And not only did they follow Christ, but they all were willing to lay down their lives as Christ did. And history tells us that by the end of the second century, that at least one half of the world's population was considered to be Christian. So we know that they sold out, they laid their individualism aside, and they bought into the bigger mission of Christ. Well, I know that much of the information you have shared with us today, if not all of the information, comes from your book. I've read your book personally. Um, But if there could be one thing that you could discuss in your book, Follow to Lead, The Journey of a Disciple Maker, um, that would speak directly to the millennial generation at the Life Church, what is that that thing that you would share? Well, I think it goes back again to some of the offers that Jesus Christ made to anyone who was wanting to follow him. He would say things like, lose your life and find it. But if you find your life, you'll lose it. You know, that really doesn't make a lot of sense unless you interpret it in the context of giving your life for someone else, to invest your life, give up your time, give up your talent, give up your treasure, give up your energy for someone else. You could be doing whatever you want to do, but instead you trade that to make investments in other people. To me, that's a huge appeal, especially when you see it making a difference. Jesus also said, if you want to be my follower, you've got to take up your cross, which means to deny yourself. And so these two ideas of losing yourself and taking up your cross actually carry the same idea, and that is to live your life not for yourself, but for others. Jesus was asked a question in John chapter 10 by an educated man of that day. And the question was, uh, well, the first question before I get to that question was, what is the greatest commandment? This is the question that came up. And Jesus said, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And then this educated man asked the question, who is my neighbor? In my view, the thoughtful answer to this question is the most important and significant question of the day that we are living in because there is so much violence and pain and war and murder and destruction 
in our world. With all the science we have, all the technology we have, all the education we have, this world is not getting better. It's getting worse. We are more divided racially than we've ever been before. We're more divided politically than we've ever been before, been before, not only in this country, but in the whole world. And so if we would take a look at this question, who is my neighbor? And take a look at how Jesus answered it. Jesus answered that question by telling a story about a man who was a Samaritan who was on his way from, uh, he was on a journey and he comes upon a Jewish man who's been beaten by thieves and he's left for dead. He's bleeding out. And this, in this story, Jesus situates the Jewish theology. He totally turns it on its head because not only did the Jews not have any dealings with the Samaritans, there was extreme racism and prejudice. In fact, the Jews that were going from the northern province of Galilee down to the southern province of Judea would cross the Jordan River twice so as not to set foot in Samaria. This is how severe the the prejudice was. And Jesus just blows that up and he situates this uh, Samaritan as the good guy. A Levite and a priest come by this bleeding man and they go to the other side of the road and they technically could not touch him or they would have sort of uh, diseased or incriminated himself and they would have had to go through a long process of purification. So it's the good Samaritan, the enemy, that binds up this man's wounds. He puts him on his own beast. He takes him to an inn. He has the innkeeper take care of him, provides financially for everything and says it will return to, to close up and to finish you know, taking care of him. And then Jesus asked, turn, asked the question back to the man that asked it, who is this man's neighbor? And there was only one answer for that, and that is uh, the man, the Good Samaritan, who helped him. And so I think that this question, the bigger picture of it is that we need to invest our lives in others and forget about what color they are and what socioeconomic rung of the ladder they're standing on and invest our lives and deeply care about people and treat people as though they are the neighbor that Christ had in mind when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. So I think that that is the biggest message of the book, and that is that your neighbor is someone who is not like you. Your neighbor is not your color. Your neighbor is not from your background. Your neighbor is someone diverse. And I think if we can drop the stereotypes and see people really for who they are as God sees them. We can impact the world and change the world. So that's the big message of the book, and I know that God is going to help us to do this. Well, today you provided us with some very valuable information that is applicable to specifically the millennial generation at the Life Church, as well as the whole church community. And I think you really addressed uh, the core message in my capstone project, and that is that a collectivistic culture is the culture of Christ. It is about uh, the group. It is about God's mission. And it's not about having an individualistic mindset, which is uh, counterintuitive to a collectivistic culture. And so thank you again, Pastor Gleason, for coming and spending time with us today and sharing your heart about the culture of Christ. <laughs>